Welcome to The Near Memo, a weekly conversation about search, social, and commerce. What happened, why it matters, and the implications for local. Okay, welcome everyone to The Near Memo, episode 25, our silver anniversary. And um, as always, Mike and David are here with me, and we're going to be talking about uh, the news of the week in the world of local and local social and small business commerce that we always talk about. And um, uh, to everybody that's, um, well, I was going to say something about fires, but hopefully they'll go away soon. All right, there, <laughs> there's my sentiment. Uh, Couldn't agree so, more. Yes, natural disasters abound these days. Yes. Um, and it's, unnatural ones. The, 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 my, my life is a, is, a, is a mix of very, very strange juxtapositions, which I won't go into in detail. We're, we're, we're doing some remodeling at our house, and so I'm looking at um, uh, kitchen countertops against the backdrop of the apocalypse. So it's like this weird society is collapsing, and should I have porcelain or... <laughs> Granite for my countertops. That's my. That's the way my brain is working these days. So, all right. On that note, um, David. Uh, well, let's see if we can distract you for at least fifteen minutes here with uh, with the near memo. Um, so I'll dive in. Oh, Mike, you're trying to say something. I was going to say that given that this is Greg's mood to start, I'm going to really work hard to be positive on the. <laughs> all right. Well, let me kick things off uh, with a piece of news that, according to Mike, is not actually news, but uh, Google did promote it this week um, in an announcement on their uh, blog.google uh, called The Keyword, um, which is the new re review experience within Google Maps that apparently has been out for some people on Androids for quite a while, uh, and they say is now rolling out to the iOS uh, devices, which, of course, I'm, I'm not an Android user, so I haven't seen it. It was news to me. It's a very simple uh, interface that's essentially more of a selection uh, type of interface uh, where they're asking specific questions about specific attributes of a business. And presumably these attributes uh, tie in pretty well to the ones that have been displayed in Google Maps for quite a while. Um, but the, the, my big takeaway from it is that Google is collecting much more structured data uh, even though they position this as, as a user experience improvement. Um, and I think it flies directly in the face of, of you know, Yelp's longstanding commitment to uh, long-form reviews and the fact that they think this is what users want to read and write. And Google here is taking the exact opposite approach, uh, that, which they've had on the reading side for quite a while now with these little sort of snippet uh, attribute things, and they're now extending it into the user side of things. The the box that says share more about your experience is about, I don't know, 8% of the vertical height uh, of the review interface. The rest of it is devoted to things that you can just tap uh, to leave a very quick review about each of these more granular uh, data attributes. So I, I just think it's kind of Google doubling down on quick and structured and uh, to the exact, you know, polar opposite of of Yelp on long and, un and unstructured. So uh, certainly an interesting, interesting change, um, evolution from Google. Uh, I think it fly it, it follows a, a, a trend that they've had uh, for the last several years in, in Google Maps. And one thing about it is it gives them a structured sequence of information that works very well with machine learning because it can be reasoned about so they know that the restaurant has this 
specific feature and then they can answer queries with high degree of confidence. Is this a cheap restaurant? Is it, you know, uh, kind of question. So in that sense, it gives them much better tools to drive against in terms of search results. But what I noticed in restaurants, which I thought was interesting, there wasn't a lot, there was a lot of non-sentiment driven questions like uh, price, for example. Yep. And I thought that was kind of unusual. I thought- Well, dine, dine in, delivery, right. takeout. Which seem, they don't, I may, I know maybe I suppose, in terms of evaluating how good does a restaurant do at these different functions, maybe that's a, a way that they could take it so you can see if the restaurant does all good or just part of it well or whatever. One, one of the thoughts I had that I wondered about was how does this or whether does this, whether this translates into other verticals? I mean, I would imagine there are corresponding data points that you could formulate for a lot of different verticals, hotels, for example, Yep. But does they're already it, doing it in hotels. Yeah. Doing it. Does it? Does it? Does it? Does it get into in other service areas? Does it work equally well? I, I think it does, right? In many, anyway, at least sort of more complex services. Like I can see it working very well in medicine, right? How long was your wait? How was the doctor's bedside manner? What treatment did you get? Blah 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 blah. How, you know, what insurance did they take? Um, you know, it, it seems like even in a category like that, which is, um, you know, hopefully more of a you know, once a year or once a decade type of experience that there's still this structured information that would be valuable to searchers and to Google. And they did roll it out in April of the pandemic year in almost every other service category, lawyers and accountants and uh, plumbers and roofers. They You're did saying a comparable, a comparable UI? Yes, uh, an attribute driven faceted interface with three or four attributes that a user could choose from that we started scraping and it's very nice because it's very structured. It allows you to do some really nice analysis over time and compare yourself to other competitors. It's a very useful thing because it's effectively a survey. Because uh, so we, we, we brought it right in to gather up and it's, uh, so it's in all the, when I looked last, it was in 340 service categories. So, so quick, a quick point that kind of is a segue to, to you, Mike, in a way, even though David, you were gonna do the segue. Um, the, the qualitative. Happy to let you take it, Greg. Okay, all right. Qualitative information can be very useful in many situations, especially in a more complicated transaction, a higher consideration purchase. So I was talking before we got on about buying solar panels, and I looked at all the reviews for the four vendors that we were uh, choosing from among, and I read all the Yelp reviews and all the Google reviews, and some of the comments that were made were very, very interesting and helpful in helping us make a choice. And if I'd only seen stars or if I'd only seen prices, um, it would not have been as useful to me in making a decision. So what were your buying criteria for solar panels? What, what were the, what were, can you distill the things that, that helped make your decision? Um, quality of service, uh, the absence of complaints, particular complaints, the, the equipment that was being used, um, uh, among among other things, those are the kind of top. So top two of those three, it seems like Google could assess via survey, e equipment and quality. Yes, but in one particular case, there were some problems with a subcontractor that was used. And so the subcontractor had a lean against the job. <laughs> and so things like that don't come out in surveys. And that reflected right. on the service uh, or the or the reliability, the credibility of one of the one of the providers. Mm -hmm. So so that kind of stuff wouldn't come out in a survey. 
But the you kinds know, so of things they are currently asking for is timeliness, quality, uh, yeah. professionalism in the services right now. So some of yeah. So you you could probably handle like eighty percent of the issues in a right. in a structured data survey, probably. Right. That's assuming that you knew the reviewer was legit. <laughs> Over to you, Mike. And and assuming you you did decide to drive in, which is what my story was about, which was the real cost of fake reviews. Gentlemen who had spent a lot of money on a forklift came into the forum, you know, hat in hand because he didn't go beyond this review summary. He sent somebody a check for a lot of money and they never delivered. Um, when you dig into this company, you find a ton of fake reviews. There was 125 reviews, roughly 80 of them were fake. And the real reviews were all very negative. And when you dug further, looked at the Better Business Bureau, even though Yelp liked to claim they should have looked at Yelp, they weren't on Yelp. I hate to tell Yelp that, but they weren't there. But if you looked at the Better Business Bureau, you would find both Better Business Bureau complaints and Better Business Reviews, all of which are negative. Um, and so the corpus at Better Business Bureau was totally negative. The corpus at Google gave him 4.2. And this guy, not doing due diligence, fell for it. And he came into the forum to help to try to see if he could get the fake reviews cleared up, which then got escalated to Google and they're struggling with whether they're fake or not, which raises this question for me, which Google is promoting their incredible artificial intelligence. They can translate between 109 different languages. They can, if you drop a picture of poison ivy into lens, they can tell you it's poison ivy. And yet after 13 years, they've been incapable of developing a a machine learning algorithm that can, sex, can successfully uh, limit the impact of fake reviews because these reviews were clearly fake. And, you know, I did an analysis with Curtis Boyd's help. Curtis Boyd runs this company uh, to track fake reviews where it was clear that of at least 50 or 45 of the reviewers had reviewed other businesses in common across the whole world, which the chance of that happening is about zero. Right, um, which is a which is a pretty easy thing for Google to track. Very easy to track. If I can track it and Curtis can track it, Google should be able to track it. But they, so it really raises the question: Why has Google not solved this problem? Is it's not a technical question? I don't think it's it's I, it's it's a version of the it's the it's the uh, the user reviews version of the they can put a man on the moon, but why can't they make a good cup of coffee? Remember that commercial? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but now everybody can make a good cup of coffee. Well. So, 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 so Google clearly can do more than it's doing with its technology. I mean, the stuff that Curtis Boyd is and his uh, Objection.co or the transparency company, I think he's rebranding, is doing, Google can do all the same things he's doing. NLP, comparison of IP addresses, looking at review velocity, uh, looking at profiles, comparing them, but they're, but they're not. And, um, and what they do do, whenever they tighten it up, they get a lot of false positives because we see in the forum a tremendous increase in users complaining they posted a review and it's not showing. So it's and it's not even clear to me why that would be the false positive. You, well, you could you could as we discussed sort of before this um, today, you, you could do some mix of, of machine and human moderation and probably minimize that. Right, but I, what I'm guessing is that the human moderation is what's the what caught in Google's throat. 
there's no motivation for them to do so. And they well, don't. so so what they rely on right now is is a is a crowdsourcing system where individuals are supposed to flag spam reviews, right? I mean, that's their chief enforcement mechanism. Oh, I think they have some other back-end algorithm because it periodically, as I, I, I started to Well, develop, certainly, certainly. But I mean, some, th- th- that's know. one of their main mechanisms if, right. if it's not the, the, main, the main one. And one. The, the, the reality is that most of these fake reviews are generated by the businesses themselves in one form or another, either friends and family or they're paying some service to do it. And so these business owners themselves are not motivated to take down their own reviews or to flag their own reviews. And I think it's very unlikely that competitors are going to, to be flagging uh, false uh, positive reviews in, in most of these cases. So I think that whole system is, is probably fundamentally flawed. Yeah, it, it, there's something flawed. I mean, I, to me, it's f- attention focus. They just don't seem motivated to really fix the problem. Again, it's been 13 years. It just shouldn't be. Yelp is does have a lot of false positives, but manages to make um, make that impact light reviewers. Better Business Bureau seems to have a system in place that captures the essence of this company anyways. This company has clearly robbed people of somewhere in the order of about three or $400,000. Well, they, they, rely on, they rely on complaints, I think, to, for that. Well, there's two systems. They have reviews and complaints, but the reviews reflected the complaints pretty closely in yeah. this case. But the BBB does a lot of human review of those complaints, is my understanding, which Google, as you said, is never going to do. So That's true. Um, I just don't think it's rocket science. Clearly, they're not motivated to do it. Clearly, it's very frustrating. It's frustrating for this guy. I sent my son up there the other day to see if this place was real. It had been there. But they've closed up shop. They've moved on. They opened a place down the street with a well, new I mean, it's, name. It's it's trust is a big inner is is a big issue online, and um, you know it's 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 interesting to me that Google doesn't perceive any threat to its brand from this uh, at all, seemingly. And it's interesting that Yelp has not gone after them in the way that Apple is going after Facebook, for example, or Android by implication with privacy, right? I mean, Yelp could mount a campaign and say, we, you know, we are aggressive about cleaning up these reviews. You can trust our reviews. Other platforms are replete with fraud. I don't, I don't know why they, they don't go after. I don't know why they don't mention Google by name and just compare. In, in this case, it wouldn't have been possible because the business didn't have a Yelp profile. But there's got to be plenty of, of major disconnects between what a GMB profile looks like and what a Yelp profile looks like. Um, so I don't know. It, it, it seems, yeah, I agree. This is a much, um, you know, it, it seems like a much surer tactic to get eyeballs away from Google than hoping that the Senate Antitrust Commission will yeah, slap a, Google on the wrist. So And, and, and t- force Google to rank Yelp higher, which is a, that's a weak strategy to start with, right? That's, that's Yelp's yeah, I mean, whole hope. Exactly. It's it's a it's a brand strategy. Trust us, you know we're, we we have more integrity. But they're not doing it. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, my my issue item is uh, is quite. <laughs> I got a lot of problems with you people. <laughs> I, I'm I'm having a tough week. Anyway, um, my item is really uh, uh, fr- from uh, from an item that was in uh, in in Wednesday's uh, newsletter. Square becoming a bank. So Square has had um, well, it doesn't didn't become a bank, but it has it owns a bank now. Um, uh, it had sort of Square Finance financing options before. 
and we talked about we we've talked about Shopify and and Stripe doing similar things. Um, but now Square has a bona fide bank where you can have a checking account, a savings account, and they give you other services, uh, access to loans. So the three pieces are checking, savings, and loans, and there are no fees at all, no overdraft fees, no account fees. And I think it's a, it's a very, very powerful addition to their existing and expanding services lineup. And, and it, they may not be in a totally unique position, but they're in a pretty interesting space uh, right now, vis-a-vis sort of small businesses and and providing a whole range of services. Yeah, on the them. loan side, they have such tremendous insight into cash flow and operations that they can loan things more efficiently, more effectively, with less risk. So their loan profits absolutely should be higher. Yeah, exactly. And they and they are are much closer to the business than a bank because they're right at the center of that operation with their point mm-hmm. of sale. I mean, my my sense is. I, you know, I think if you look at all the surveys, the CSAT surveys of banks, people hate their banks for the most part. And it seems to me that traditional banks, which have been trying to get into mobile payments and trying to upgrade their user experiences, are really going to get disrupted by companies like Square and Shopify and Stripe to varying degrees um, because it, the market is ripe for that. What's not to love about Wells Fargo? <laughs> well, in the band, the- they have a, they have some sort of disgusting discovery about once every six months, right? That some cheating they did in the mortgage or in the credit cards or or, Ch- or Chase or B of A or any right. of them, any of them. They're all kind of horrible institutions. The other question I have is: ten years from now, are we going to be talking about Square in the same way we're talking about Apple in terms of having aggregated so many services hmm. across uh, that? they are now considered anti-competitive hmm. or Stripe or Square or one of these uh, types. Well, of it's, 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 it's like you can do it until you get across some threshold of size and right. market power, and then you can't. But um, and, and I don't see Square get, I mean, anytime soon, I don't, I, I don't see them getting there uh, to the level of antitrust. I think that there's so many point of sales out there and plenty of Big banks own point of sale systems, right? Didn't first data acquire like two or three of them a few years ago? Um, Probably. That's attached to one of these huge, huge banks. So, um, so I don't see it, Mike, as 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 raising any flags anytime soon at the. No, I just, I, I just think ten years from now, when Stripe and Square and Shopify are the the next big things. Right. Then it becomes a, a question. It's possible. I was going to say though, this is definitely a way to decrease churn because it's such a pain in the butt to change banks. Yeah. Uh, with with as, as somebody who's done that a couple times in this past decade, as a result of some of these stories that you guys were mentioning earlier, um, as a consumer trying to vote with my wallet, uh, it's a really hard thing to do. So um, I think it's really smart from from Square's standpoint to really lock in their customers, and I think that they are providing. A pretty good experience on as as a Square user, as well as somebody who's helped businesses set up Square websites and connect them to points of sale. I think that they're providing a good experience on both sides. So um, I think it's really going to, you know, if anything, it will decrease their churn further from what I assume is already pretty low churn. So when I was doing the books for Local U, I went to our local credit union, which is very friendly and has always treated me very nice with good car loans, although a lot of paperwork. And to get a $5,000 line of credit against an account that carried an account balance of 60000 every month except for the week of January, you know, the first last week. January 1st, right. Right. Yeah. But every other, every other month carried a $50,000 balance. It took a raft of paperwork 
and a, a, an amazing amount of cruft to get a $5,000 uh, protection against the, the checking account. It was like and, unbelievable. Right? And, the, and the, the PPP loan saga that just played out over the last year, right. a, lot of, a lot of small businesses got screwed in that. And you know, a lot of the money went to larger enterprises who arguably didn't need the money, who were sort of savvier and able to take advantage of it. And a lot of the true small businesses had real trouble. And this, this a friendlier financing entity, as you sort of are alluding to, I think is going to be something that a lot of business owners recognize is important for them. So, I mean, finance has always been something that companies do historically, right? Ford got into it, GE got into it, Apple's getting into it. And the question is, does it, does it, is it because growth has slowed in their core areas and they need this to, or has the market slowed or, I mean, or is it just a good fit and they're doing it because it makes sense uh, to do it? I, I, I is it where capital is best deployed, I guess? I, I would suspect, I would suspect that there are a couple of things going on. There has been some slowing of point of sale adoption and, and it's a natural extension of their, their, their product evolution, I think also. You know, they started they started providing financing pretty early because they had access, you know, they had visibility on the cash flow. And so this was a product they could offer. And I think this emerges from that. And it also is good for, you know, it's good for their story to the public markets because, you know, the number I quoted in the piece was that, uh, you know, some analysts had said that that that, uh, that payroll, you know, uh, uh, accounting and invoicing and, you know, sort of this cluster of services um, is, is, is $500 billion in annual fees paid by small businesses. Whether or not that's literally true or sort of directionally doesn't matter. There's a lot, big, huge pot of money there. Right. You know? Sounds good. Well, All right. It seems like a positive enough note to end on that there's a huge pot I, of money. I, 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 don't think, I don't think we should fetishize positivity it's appropriate but not always <laughs> wow you've really had a rough week <laughs> no it's just it's you, my, you my, both know me well enough that i don't fetishize positivity uh, my 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 wife is is uh, is is up in mendocino with a friend north of the san francisco bay area very and nice I, it's very nice for her and um <laughs> i'm i'm uh, you know i'm sort of holding down the ford and doing all the stuff and working and got the pets and the kids and all of that so and the roofers the roofers have not come yet oh but i can tell you i can people who are watching this that want to know about roofing and want to know about solar installation i can tell you everything you need to know (laughs) i'm getting a geothermal heat pump put in this next month so we can have a conversation so so that's that's very interesting because i've been looking at heat pumps as well so does it, it you you guys can start an alternative energy section of uh of nearmedia.co well yeah, the heat pump doesn't rely on the furnace in the same way that, you know, so be, I have gas and so it could shift over to electricity, which I could subsidize with the solar. Right. So, although electricity in California doesn't seem like a very reliable deliverable. Well, this is this is part of the apocalyptic mindset because the, you know, the, the power grid is breaking down, right? You can't rely on a fundamental thing like that. It shows that the society is perhaps coming to an end but we'll be back i worry about the telephone poles falling down yeah but but society is coming to the end an end but we're just getting started (laughs) this is one of the tech the tech tech company cliches blah 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 we're just getting started so anyway (laughs) 
Well, I don't know if that's that's a little grim even for my taste. All right, Greg, but uh, with that, we okay, can say well, goodbye. I think we should quit while we're quote ahead at this point. <laughs> okay. All right. Anyway, um, thanks for listening. See you next week. As always, thanks everyone. Thanks for joining David, Mike, and Greg. To stay on top of the latest developments in local, subscribe to our newsletter at nearmedia.co. We'll see you next week.